Tracy and Barbara Ann. Europe Calling. So, very good day. Welcome, everybody. Our date today, the 24th of April, 2023. Another stunning, beautiful day on the Costa Blanca. Okay, in the uh, absolute heat, it is too hot, a bit too hot. Uh, But there is a bit of wind and there's always a bit of shade if you look for it. Um, so that's our weather check for today and uh, we're looking at the stories uh, that obviously have been appearing in the press uh, either maybe not getting as much exposure as we think it uh, should be or possibly being given too much exposure we'll see as I welcome in Barbara Ann for today and uh, basically another lovely day Beautiful day, and as you say, uh, a nice warm wind, so uh, plenty of shade if you want it, and just absolutely fabulous. Even though we do need rain um, for the agricultural and things like that, but for the general public, I suppose it's lovely. Okay, uh, bearing in mind that we do need the water in this part of the world, and not just in Spain virtually everywhere at the moment Um, apart from the UK which seems to have an abundance why not sell it okay the first of our stories to discuss coming up So the article was saying this is the shocking moment a sports car flipped over. This was on a busy street outside an infant school. So the school, of course, as you'd expect, filled with parents and children. Uh, But as with most things these days, the footage captured by a dash cam. And uh, we're talking about Farnborough in Hampshire and uh, showing a grey Ford Mustang flip onto its roof after driving through a red light and bouncing off a car and a van. People can be seen rushing over to help the driver as a crowd gathers round the wrecked vehicle with flashing hazard lights. Uh, The crash happened outside the Manor Infant School at 8.40am. So this guy has gone through a red light (coughs) at 20 to 9 when the street was filled with parents pushing prams people walking dogs and of course uh, young children just about everywhere as you'd expect uh, at that sort of a school a witness said it's shocking no one else was injured and after just dropping my children it's very worrying that people think this behavior is okay Now, uh, she really can't uh, be expected to say what she meant totally by that. So I will speak on her behalf, saying that probably um, from the way that the article was written, (coughs) it's the fact that somebody has been driving either irresponsibly, ignoring the light. Uh, My guess is they won't be drunk uh, at 8.40 in the morning, but... There often can be a problem that people don't realise. 
um, that if you've been drinking the night before, that might have cleared. There could also be people on drugs these days, or there could just be some people who drive too fast, ignoring exactly where they are and certainly not being aware of red lights or deciding not to, um, to obey what everybody else obeys. So your thoughts on this one? Well, obviously, I agree with everything, but um, to to to, uh, to jump a red light f- uh, to anyway is is uh, unforgivable, uh, to, and then to drive at speed is unforgivable at that time of the morning. And if he is a local person, he knows that he's driving on a road that's approaching a, a, a presumed junior school, plus parents, as you say, with children that aren't in school with prams and pushing and. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people around. So there must have been a reason either, as you say, he was either under the influence from the night before or drugs or you can't really um, understand somebody that would drive that fast at that time in the morning outside approaching a junior school. I just, there's, there's got to be something else, which I suppose we'll, we'll never know. We'll never know, will we? Okay, so uh, you've already identified by default, by what you said, that, you know, it uh, doesn't matter what actually happened. The way this article is written immediately makes us feel that somebody has uh, been out of control. And uh, I think... Ha- it could be having a heart attack. I mean, we don't know the full facts yet, do we? No. But, <clears throat> I mean, you don't... Dr- uh, yeah. Yes, I don't think you drive that fast when you've got pain, but I, I really don't know. You well, know. you also know that you can be approaching a traffic light and there's an instant when things change. Just, yeah, and sometimes the lights are controlled um, to make maybe a more rapid decision to make you stop and sometimes it's better to go through because the person behind you if you stopped suddenly uh could bash into the back of you so yeah there is there is some uh, reasons why people go through a red light but not at he should have then reduced his speed as he passed through okay uh let's uh, make a, a contrast between what that article is telling us uh, and also what we see, f- for example, locally in Benidorm, as one example, where everything is going down to about 20 uh, uh, miles or kilometres per hour, which is very, very Extremely slow. slow. And surely there's another thing that comes into uh, the whole argument or discussion, which is basically, if everything is going so slow that eventually you've got queues building up and everything, surely that produces more pollution, doesn't it? Yeah, because your engine's running um, and there's not that many uh, electric cars at the moment. I would say they're very, very minimal here. Um, I think everywhere, because people, first of all, we can't afford to, to change our car. And many, many, I think many of our friends, they say it's impossible. to. Ch- it's when you're sort of reaching maybe retirement, 60, 65, you get a car and that normally lasts you until maybe you stop driving. So, uh, as you say, having your car um, running is is polluting just as much. Okay, we can't really tell you much more about that because it's the things that are written in the, in the newspapers which we're looking at. But, of course, 
the need is then for a lot more you know information sometimes you know the journalists do they jump the gun do you tell everybody that this has happened or do you leave it till you've actually got an explanation as to what actually happened? I mean, if maybe in a later edition they tell you something different, uh, then obviously your thoughts can change in the, the way that you perceive the whole uh, episode can change. So uh, the uh, way that I'm looking at that one is basically uh, there's not enough information for anybody, is there? No. no. OK, so let's, um, let's move but it, on. But it, at, the, at the end of the day, he shouldn't have been driving that fast outside of school. That, that's the, the true thing. I would imagine that's the, um, the reasonable way of looking at it. Yeah. Here's our second one. Okay, so a man uh, has died after he was mauled by, and then it's written as an out-of-control dog, which was then shot dead by armed police. Uh, the man died after sustaining serious injuries when he was attacked by the dog at a house. This all happened in Derby at a place called Normanton, and uh, the firearm officers had to shoot the dog after they were called to the address to report a man had been seriously injured by a dog. A man has been arrested in connection with the attack and, and remains in custody, according to the police. Shocking uh, and shocked residents on the street told the Sun newspaper, which is one of those papers which can be accused of maybe um, sensationalising things. But um, uh, let's see what they went on to say. They would regularly see the victim walking a crazy and very dangerous dog. Uh, then there's a guy, Ali Ahmed, who runs Cameron Street General Straw on a corner opposite the victim's home, added... He couldn't control it. Uh, it's black, medium-sized, and was always pulling on its lead. It is so sad, and his death has shocked the local community. Okay, again, we're looking at how people react to these, uh, so we don't know how, in actual fact, um, this man has died, not until we read a lot more into the article or got the information. Uh, but my thinking is that if somebody has identified that this guy has been walking uh, a crazy and very dangerous dog. No, not my words. These are the words written as uh, the uh, Ali Ahmed's words. Um, you know, you do see certain dogs while they're out pulling on the lead and it crosses your mind. If that dog gets free, you know, we could all have a problem here. Well, I mean, the dangerous Dog Act um, has come into force, um, and if if the dog is like that, it has to wear um, a muzzle. Um, there's no mention of the muzzle on in this situation, but for a dog to attack its owner in a, in such a obviously fatal way, uh, the dog needed to be um, put down because uh, there's no there's no two ways. You can't uh, change a dog that's already killed somebody. Um, it, it's very sad. So the, either the dog was already had a bad personality from a puppy. Uh, it could have been crossbred, which is a big factor if, um, if a breeder cross crossbreeds 
uh, into bad blood, it produces really aggressive puppies. But um, he would have known this. He would have known whether he was, whether he had it for protection. I, I don't know. But um, for a dog to actually attack its owner is. Uh, would I say that quite rare don't forget say. that's conjecture at the moment I mean it would appear that that would be the case uh, but it would have, uh, I would also say that you know very often these things are written up and we don't know for sure whether it is the owner or whether or not person living in the you house. know maybe somebody had called in but whichever way I relate back to a time I visited friends of ours and uh, they were very nice people. Um, We still are are in friends with the in touch with them. Um, But I remember saying to myself, I don't think I want to go and visit them in their house after looking at this particular dog and the way that it behaved. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I remember that. But um, well, I don't know why people have dogs like that, to be honest with you. You know, I mean, uh, if they're aggressive to visitors of your house, um, it just doesn't make sense to me. And plus, they had two children as well, which, again, was a, a bit of a shock because our children were very frightened of it. And they put it into the um, into the kitchen, didn't they? But uh, anyway, it wasn't socialised at all. No, but I think... What needs to be said a lot more and a lot more often is that, um, you know, if people have these type of dogs, there really can only be a couple of explanations. One is they want to show people how, you know, they can control a wild dog. That would be one thing. Another thing is something worries them to the extent that they're, they're going to actually have something in their house that could easily turn around and attack them, which obviously in this case would appear to be a possibility. Um, certainly for me, where children live in a family, I don't want a dog like that anywhere near them. I don't really want a dog like that anywhere near anybody. Yeah, but a dog trainer always says, always says that it's not the dog, it's the owners that make them like that. So... You know, I don't know. I well, don't let's know. go to another thing that we saw on the TV only last night. And we were watching a Spanish programme, so we can't really tell you that everything we saw is the way I'm going to tell you uh, because, obviously, we're still working to try and improve our knowledge of the language. But it was a police unit that had gone to a very isolated part of uh, the outskirts of Madrid and it was that they'd suspected that they were breeding animals for fighting, uh, which, of course, would suggest to you straight away that you've got a pretty vicious type of dog and not just an odd one, plenty of them. So, But they were made like that, weren't they? They make them aggressive. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, you see, these places exist. These dogs exist. So, therefore... The people who are in charge of our safety, they are then putting themselves in danger by having to go and, all right, maybe they'll take a a, a weapon with them. But, um, you know, they they had uh, they they took away 250 dogs um, and some of them were only puppies, which weren't weren't aggressive, obviously, at all. But they were breeding dogs. To be violent, I mean, that's just horrible. They found dead dogs that had been mutilated by other dogs. It was just a bit horrific, really, to think that that 
in 19, uh, 2023 is still going on. I mean, it's the type of thing that happened in Roman days, you know, with the gladiators and the lions and all that. And people still think it's a sport. I just can't understand the mentality of uh, people that want to train dogs just to hurt another dog for a betting situation. What it suggests to me is that uh, while we haven't had a war in a general sense for a long time, um, and I shudder to think, would it ever happen again? I hope not. Um, It would appear that no matter what normal people do to try and, um, you know, just live their lives without giving us a lot of grief... There's always an element of people who seem to want to breed vicious dogs. They want to go and uh, taunt bulls and, mm. you know, uh, cocks to fight and things like that. And, and you know, foxes, I mean, the foxes is is um, decreasing a lot, but I think it's a bit underground now. Well, I was even reading an article today and apparently the um, Royal Society for the Protection of Birds in, in the UK um, they're killing foxes and obviously other animals um, in their quest to keep the birds safe. So, it, you know, it, it would appear that no matter what it's, happens, we have to have violence, don't yeah. we? But it's the way you do it. If you do it in a controlled and not um, a vicious way in the sense of dog fighting and cock fighting, and that, that, is, that is just pure pleasure for some people to see. And two animals, um, you know, killing one another, basically. That's pure sadism, isn't it, really? It's It's wicked. It's just wicked, yeah. But the difference, keeping maybe even the badgers, um, they have the TB, don't they, for the cows, um, keep those numbers down and keep the numbers down of the foxes, but humanely. I mean, there's a difference between humanely and doing it for a sport. Okay, Um, we're going to Madrid next to a restaurant and uh, here it comes. Okay, so you know it's one of the nicest things in life to go out and enjoy a meal with friends. Okay, uh, two people died, 12 were injured. And this is at a restaurant in Madrid. And, uh, you know, when you go to a restaurant... Very often, there'll be a little party piece that the chef might um, enthrall you with, Um, you know, flambe, uh, you know, lighting something. But what actually had in this, uh, what happened in this uh, flaming pizza, uh, it set fire to the ceiling and the walls of the restaurant. The place started at the Burro Canaglia Bar and Restaurant in, uh, it was an Italian restaurant, as you'd imagine, in the centre of uh, Salamanca, and, or at least this neighbourhood of Salamanca. One person who died uh, was a restaurant employee, and the other was a customer. So, next, the Madrid mayor, Luis Martinez Almeida, has said on Saturday outside the building, um, an eyewitness has told the El Pais newspaper that the fire started after a waiter flambéed a pizza 
and the flames set fire to the ceiling and the walls and the Madrid fire chief, Carlos Martín, said the blaze took place near a fire station so people were able to run to alert them about the, the accident. Now, we've been in places where things like this has happened. Um, very, very innocuous, I've got to say. There have been times when maybe the table next to you uh, would be having a flaming steak, steak. brought out. And um, so, you know, it's, it's, the, it's that thin line, isn't it, between being a killjoy and staying safe. Because most people uh, do like to see these little um, party pieces, if you like. Mm-hmm. It's part of the joys of going out as long as everything's controlled. But many times, you know, I've been in restaurants and looked up and I've thought to myself, that's flammable. Um, you, you know, the, the, the walls have got something on it that you could see that could catch. Uh, y- you can actually see some of the... I don't know, uh, some of the ways that the um, flamboyance of the chef can be a little bit out of control Mm -hmm. now and again. What do you think? Well, yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, We love going to restaurants. We have our favorite restaurants. And I think a restaurant that actually personalizes times when you go, if you say you're coming for an anniversary birthday or whatever, some sort of celebration, uh, th- and they make an effort to come out with um, the music of uh, of uh, happy birthday or anniversary and a lighted candle, um, you know, sort of like a, um, uh, what's, what's a sparkler, all sparkling, and everyone's clapping and singing. You know, it's a lovely personal thing to to happen. And again, with the with the lighted uh, meat, um, it, we've seen that many many times. It comes to the table, and they pour. Uh, alcohol over the hot meat and it's all flames up but it's controlled and it's only a small amount it's like half a little uh, cup of uh, of alcohol so it's not going to ever light up the ceiling so something must have gone wrong in this restaurant something oh you know too much or as you say near flammable curtains or or whatever but for two people to die and, and the others uh, 12 injured, it sounds a little bit horrendous. I mean, it must have been something we've never seen it out of. Well, I've seen something on breakfast television, actually, not that long ago. And somebody. Oh, that was when the pan got too hot yeah. and it went burst into flames. Okay, so you've just identified yeah. what, what, what I think I saw, but certainly if I didn't, then that's another that's incident. What the pan does, but yeah. the trouble is, you see, there's an area where accidents can happen accidents will always happen there will always be a very odd instance and of course the health and safety executive normally will go and try and evaluate what can go wrong Uh, I mean I don't know about you I find there's far more danger by seeing guys walking around with sets of knives that they can sell to anybody on the street I find that absolutely shocking, quite honestly. Yeah, but if it was a pizzeria or an Italian restaurant, I don't really remember ever having um, something to eat that has to be lighted, Um, and especially at the table. I mean, a pizza is normally done in those massive ovens behind in the kitchen. You can quite often uh, you can you can visibly see them them putting it in and preparing it. I like those open kitchens. Um, but I can't understand how a fire started in the restaurant side. But, you know, will, will we ever know? I don't know. 
Okay, uh, so again, as I say, we read the reports. Uh, you, you have your own thoughts, the same as we do. Sometimes you think they... You're not they, giving all the facts, are you? Yeah, sometimes you think the health and safety executive uh, maybe take things a little bit too seriously. But the trouble is, you see, everybody's wise after an event. It's dead easy to say, oh, yeah, you know, that, that, we, we know it was a light. So you've always got the chance, haven't well, you, of something going wrong? Well, as I say, for, for two people to die, I mean, that was a bit horrendous. And also 12 injured. It must have been horrific um, fire. Okay, so let's go on with the next one then. Uh, here we go. It's all in the press. Uh, sometimes it's from the UK, sometimes it's from Spain, sometimes it's from elsewhere. This is from Ohio in the US of A. Let me do I need it already and I haven't got a clue. Now, there's too many of these things happening, which is what took my eye, why I wanted to talk about it. Jacob Stevens, a 13-year-old, died on April the 12th after overdosing on Benadryl as part of the social media challenge. Now, the youngster was filmed by his friends uh, downing an alarming number of the anti-allergy pills. He suffered near-immediate seizures, fell into a coma and was put on a ventilator for six days before dying. I mean, this is just so sad. This is a kid of 13. Mm. Chloe Marie Phillips, 15, from Oklahoma, died in August 2020. At the time, her family urged others to remain vigilant of their children's actions. Uh, what was said at the time, don't let it take any more kids. I don't want to see any families go through what we are going through right now. One medic slammed the trend as a death trap, while pharmacy experts have urged social media to better monitor the concerning challenge. Right, this I've seen, um, I, I don't use TikTok at all because it seems to me it's for kids and much of the time you've got things like this. Uh, you, you can see these other things um, on Instagram and you know, going through Facebook you often see something that uh, is a little bit silly to say the very least. But this is not just silly, this is lethal as proven by two examples from what we're reading now of kids who have lost their lives. Now, I don't know about you, I don't mind people calling me old and old-fashioned, a fuddy-duddy. Uh, I get all these type of things which people will describe my opinions because basically, when you're older, you can see what's likely to happen. And if people are going on saying, oh, you've got to take this challenge, it's about time people manage to stop it. Well, it's not good enough. Don't they know the meaning of no? <laughs> you know I mean, it's, it's the same with the drugs, isn't it? Uh, the simple word, do you want to take some drugs? No, I don't want to take any drugs, thank you. But that seems to be a, a, a weakness. I mean, if you say you don't want to join the, join the, the crowd at school that are in that sort of circle, it's very, very sad very sad, I mean, and for a 13-year-old to do that, what was he thinking? You know, don't they take, <clears throat> don't they t uh, realise that overdosing can kill you? I mean, they must do at 13, Vince. I mean, it's just... Uh, well, what, what worries me more than anything... Reckless, any, isn't it? Just reckless. You know, them. if this was an isolated thing, but, you know... Every time I'm discussing this with, say, yourself or Neil or Terry doing the other uh, Europe Calling podcasts, we, we then 
um, we think, well, hang on, we've been reading about this in other places or we've been talking about it in other ways. So the, the question needs to be asked, who the hell's in charge of TikTok? Who is supposed to look at the content before it can go? Everything's immediate. Mm. So I understand that it's blooming difficult to stop. But they've got to they've got to stop it, Anne. Well, also the the um, I don't know if, if it's on TikTok or um, Facebook. I don't know the one that tell the dark web or something that tells you how to commit suicide. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me that they can't see that that's wrong, and you, you just take it off immediately. I, I mean, so many children and teenagers have killed themselves because of listening to uh, things like that. I mean, it might be caused immediately by, at first, like by bullying at school and on that carry on. But sometimes um, if this is drilled into you on a, on, a, um, on a regular basis of how to kill yourself and you're feeling down, surely that um, is a, is a, takes an effect on you. Uh, and why don't these sort of things just get deleted you see, I permanently? See I see a link between what we see on the TV. Now, by all means, you see, people will deny the links, etc., etc. But they're there. People can see it. The programme makers make films reflecting what we've just read. And we think also promoting some things that we've just read. Because basically, if you're going to put a series out, uh, call it the soap operas in the UK, telenovelas here in Spain, um, and, and you've got characters that everybody relates to, and then suddenly, you know, that actor's going to be written out of the series. So what do they do? They always look for something which is fairly plausible. And then if they do it in the right way, um, then, you know, people believe it. And before you can say Jack Robinson, it's now part of, do I say culture? I don't like the word culture because it's not cultured to show people, people being killed, people dying, people being shown, uh, you know, how to commit the likes of a suicide or a murder. So they say... um in some cases, soap operas, um, obviously the English ones and Spanish and anywhere really, sometimes tackle, and they do, not sometimes, they do tackle pr uh, problems that are actually happening in, in, in the society. And to be fair, they do tackle some problems uh, quite, quite uh, carefully and quite cleverly and quite informative. And I think the people that are prone to doing these things like depression, alcohol, uh, you know, being an alcoholic, um, wanting to commit suicide, um, things like that, scars on your face and how to cope with it. It can help people that are in this situation, definitely. Uh, it helps to talk about it because sometimes people can't talk about certain things and, you know, whether you like soaps or not, they can really um, give you a a bit of encouragement of how you can handle it. Um, I know it's not true, but they do handle it and they ask um, they ask ex-people who have gone through this situation. So they don't so say they basically reenact it on the television, but they do ask advice from researchers of people who have gone through alcoholism and um, drug abuse and things like that. And we've seen it many, many times on soaps. Uh, they carry it right through to the end. Um, 
so I, I'm not against that because I think it can be quite helpful for people in that situation. Okay. I think one of the dangers now is that you used to go to school and at the end of school you'd have to do an exam and if you passed your exams you had the chance to go on and maybe do academic work or go out and do a proper job as a lot of people will probably see where I'm coming from with that one. But I think what we're seeing now is that as so many people spend so much time on the telephone on the social networks, on the platforms that, you know, we use every day of our lives, there isn't really an awful lot of difference between somebody who has validated the amount of education that they've got and then goes and reads for three years. So what do we do for three years or four years? Uh, we ha have guided um, education by people who are supposed to be allegedly qualified, which, of course, um, has become more and more diluted if you look at the way the exam system has been working. Um, but that doesn't mean that you or anybody, me, anybody should be dismissive of ordinary people with ordinary ideas who try to contribute to us all having a better outcome. The only thing that I would say is we've got too many experts now who can basically give too much bad information or incorrect information or the information where when you go to a course with a, a designated assigned group of teachers who should be leading what you're learning, they need to present the education and that academic input in a much better way than just chatting lightly on the internet, commenting on each, or, or, or each other's little statement. And I think that's the problem now. That's where we're going with all this. And so, you know, if you've got somebody writing, oh, this is terrible, you know, of course it's terrible. But really, what we need now is we need more answers on how to stop it. So in terms of what I've just read out, people are looking at the age of 13 on a social network platform. 13 and younger. Well, it's it, too it, it's, young it's, to it's, take in some of the information. It, yeah, but the thing is, it's not the first time. I can't understand why it's not immediately, immediately taken off. I just can't understand that. I mean, Facebook, for instance, takes certain photographs off, which a friend of ours was was uh, having an ice cream with somebody, and it was um, with his sorry with his daughter, and she had uh, she was only little, and they said it, it wasn't suitable for Facebook, and it wasn't even anything. Out of the ordinary, two people, a father and a daughter having an ice cream with no tops on. I mean, is that so bad? Um, but they'll, they'll allow things like the dark web to tell you how to kill yourself. But they can't stop the d dark web. Why and it would they? And it would appear that this hasn't even been on the dark web. I've not been there, by the way, because basically I don't want to go yeah, on the dark web. Why can't they stop the dark web? Who's, well, because because the trouble who's is putting it on. It's because they've made the internet free for all, and basically, if everything's free, um, then the sort of price that you pay for your freedom is that you've got countries like China. Um, I think they've done it. Certainly, Russia has done it. They just uh, Northern Korea would be another one where they just say, right, no internet. 
So nobody can do anything. Now, I don't have a big problem with that, by the way, because if everybody got back to basics, maybe we'd start really uh, getting to understand things that are good, bad and evil, which at the moment I think we're moving further and further away from. Uh, people will show you a little um, video. OK, in essence, probably quite funny. Uh, of somebody who's, you know, standing still as a statue, jumping out and giving somebody a surprise. What they don't show you is that one in every 50 might have a heart attack. But you see, the trouble is um, people don't look for the angles these days. They just look at the immediate gratification of having something that's light. They don't want to discuss serious things anymore, not to the depth I mean, that you have to discuss yeah, them. You could discuss serious things but you've also got to have it's not all doom and gloom you know you've got to have some light-hearted things I mean I've we've often laughed at things little reels on uh, Facebook haven't we with animals and that um, if everything was serious I think it would be a, a but a that's sad the world. problem that is the problem with freedom somebody has to decide via a group meeting where does freedom end? And, you know, we were talking about things that are light and humorous. I don't see anywhere where um, somebody committing suicide can be light. I don't see that. No, no, oh, no, I don't. I don't see anywhere where... Um, there are people, I'm sure you'll know them, I'm sure that our listeners will know them, who you would not really be too upset if something bad happened to them. But having said that... It should not be for me or anybody to say that because really we don't want anything bad to happen to anybody. No. But no. realistically, what I'm saying is by making a, a comment which made your eyebrows raise, you need people to stop and think, where does the line stop? If it means that children of 13 don't have telephones, I don't have a problem. Unfortunately, we've got to the stage where schools seem to think kids have to have phones. Well, yeah, and even parents think, uh, oh, like, you know, if, if they need me and all that. Well, how did we manage? How did the generations before telephones manage that the school would phone the parents? I mean, not everybody had a telephone in the house. I mean, I can remember we didn't have a telephone until I think I was about 10. And, we that, didn't, was, we and didn't. that was because my mum was um, a district nurse and she and she had it put in by the council. We didn't have telephones in our house till 16. Yeah, so we had to go to I the didn't phone have, box. I didn't have a television till about 16. It's just certain things like everything has changed, hasn't it? I mean, uh, telephones, for instance, is one. Um, picking your children up from school right outside and all the chaos that that inters. You know, we were, I remember we'd take it in turns. Two parents would bring, say, eight children home from school, walking along back to home. Obviously, people who live too far away, but there's lots of inner city people that don't live that far from the school. They don't need the parents to pick them up in four-wheel drives um, to walk them home, surely. OK, um, we haven't got an answer for you, but we've got things that certainly... We would expect our leaders to be thinking about. Let me move to the next one. Here we go. Okay, now uh, I say this time and time again to make sure our listeners do realise everything we use on this podcast is available for everybody in the paper to read. 
everybody makes their minds up or, you know, uh, maybe if they don't bother to read, they're listening to what other people say and uh, other people's decisions and how they would decide. So a junior doctor's leader next. So um, I've got a lot of sympathy for junior doctors. I think they do a hell of a great job. A lot of hours and probably far too many hours to really be 100% effective when we need them. But this particular junior doctor's leader joked on Twitter about gassing the Jews. Okay, uh, this person has been suspended from his roles at the British Medical Association. His name is Dr. Martin White, a deputy chair of the Junior Doctors Committee and a member of its executive. Now, he's facing a probe over a series of utterly vile tweets and they certainly have seen uh, seen to be vile from what I've read, and they are copies of the tweets that he put out, so we're not just gossiping here. These are things that somebody of an eminence has decided to tweet, and the paediatrician used his account to promote videos that claim the Holocaust was a hoax and called for people to boycott Israel out of spite. He also made jibes about the decomposing carcass of the Queen. I mean, how on earth can anybody, even if you're not a royalist, that's foul to even start talking about things like that. And called conservatives bastards. Well, I've heard that one, and it doesn't have to be uh, just Labour people. It's people who basically know that some of the behaviour is not good enough. But we'll go back to where we are. He added that they should not be allowed to work as medics. Um, The BMA called his comments totally unacceptable in an email to their members. It said there was an absolutely no place in the BMA for anti-Semitism. Okay, so we're talking about somebody. We have been to see a doctor today. So uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, we don't necessarily know what that person has as political viewpoints. Do we need to know? There comes a point when maybe we do need to know because if you're lying in a hospital bed and you just happen to be either Jewish or with a surname that happens to be Jewish, then obviously uh, it's a very dangerous area. If somebody who can make a, a judgment about how you're treated in hospital might perceive the way he or she would like your treatment to be made. Um, I can tell by your face that it's not something that you, you've thought about in the past. Well, no. Um, firstly, about the doctor, I think it's unbelievable that somebody in his position, uh, caring for people or so-called caring for people, could even think of putting that down on, on uh, Twitter. Uh, you know, I think he should be struck off. I mean, there's no two ways about it. I don't care. You know, you don't say you're there to help anybody doesn't matter what religion, what colour, whatever, anything. A doctor is there to help you. So that's the first thing. But the second thing about do I need to know, I don't need to know what religion a person is um, myself personally because as long as they, um, if, I, if I'm asking them to help me as in a doctor's situation or in the hospital, I trust them to do what what um, what's expected and I trust their uh, their judgment I mean I think 99% of most people do but some people have a religion 
where they're not allowed to have, uh, I can't think who they are now, but they're not allowed to have operations. I think that's uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. Ah, Jehovah's hmm. Witness. I, uh, I totally... Tr- Im- uh, uh, blood transfusions. Blood transfusions. Mm. I totally, totally disagree with that, especially... Well, any any at any age, but I mean, as far as it can save a child's life or a young person or what, well, basically anybody, and they decide that it's uh, uh, God's decision to do whatever. Um, I think that's wrong. But um, in hospital, if somebody does say that, you have to respect their decision, whether it's right or wrong. But that's the only religion I think that would well, um, no, stop. I I I don't uh, look. I. I know what you're saying, and in the world that we came from, I would agree with you. But the trouble now is that, you know, we've got such horrendously out-of-control events taking place. I'm thinking in terms of uh, doctors, Dr. Shipman, that guy that uh, killed the older people. I'm thinking of the nurse that was killing the babies. I'm thinking of various events that take place And if we don't know what the political, moral and religious views of these people are, let me finish before you disagree. The the whole point is when you've had an event which is a bad event, you've got to try and look where the problem came from. So by knowing somebody's political views, religious views, etc., you have a clue where to start looking. Yeah, but because I, these none of these none of these bad events should take place. I, I agree with what you're saying, but how would you? You go, you don't go into hospital and say what are, before you does anything. What are your political views? What what religion are well, you? No, don't no, say that. You don't do it. You do it. It has to be subtle. It's like at the moment when uh, somebody goes in for all sorts of things in a hospital sense. They're given forms to fill in. And so basically, you know, uh, without actually saying I don't agree with the transgender uh, thing that's going on right now, by filling in the form, you probably give somebody an indication by um, people asking you whether you're from a particular faith. It does give people a bit of an idea of what your values and what your beliefs might be if you don't ever record these things and when things go wrong where do you start looking you don't know the person that's giving you the treatment you're saying that we fill the form and we say we're catholic protestant uh, jewish or whatever we are but you don't know what the doctors well exactly but this is my point you see because um you uh, in the past and where you and i the the other world that we came from we would never really ever query the doctor. We wouldn't. Never, never. Um, not, we not even now. we even used to dress better when we went to see the doctor. You'd make Smart. sure that you were clean and tidy, etc. These days, they don't give a monkeys. And if you go to the days when I was teaching, you know, um, I saw some of the colleagues that I was teaching with. You know, I wondered how, whether they ever had a shower and, a, and, and you know, how they can turn up to a class. I mean, they're, they're there to try and inform and instruct. But no, they were there to be friendly with their students, which is not... Anyway, I'm going on. I'm going to move on to the next one. So uh, we'll go to... Let's see, where will we go next? Here we go. 
Okay, there's been a high level of development and interest in the uh, artificial intelligence. You don't really use the computer, so hopefully um, I can get you to give me your ideas of uh, some of the things which uh, certainly from somebody that uses the computer a lot, I see as a danger. Anyway, um, so machine learning, that's what we're talking about. Technology, machine learning. With each new development, I'm reading now, comes new challenges. And in this case, the challenge of intellectual property. So, um, so a lawyer has told the BBC, uh, Jani Ihelanen, uh, current legislation is nowhere near adequate to address deep fakes and the potential issues in terms of IP information, of course, and uh, the protection of other people's rights. An AI machine learning technology is able to create very convincing imitations, not only of voices, but now also of moving images as a widely viewed video appearing to feature Morgan Freeman of reveals those in the public eye, notably those who have broadcast many hours of spoken and visual content, seem currently the most vulnerable as AI can use their content to learn uh, visual and audio cues. Celebrities such as Jim Carrey, Tom Cruise, Joe Rogan, as well as politicians and US presidents have all had so-called deep fakes made of them. Um, Although these can be humorous, and of course we go back to the little videos that come through on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and all these other places, um, you, you've got really now um, the technology that can be malicious and misleading. And taking to the BBC, Tony Rigg, a lecturer in music industry management at the University of Central Lancashire, have said the use of Um, AI, artificial intelligence, in the music industry is a double-edged sword. Tensions apparently arising from its potential to undermine the value of human creativity and also its place there in the middle of the potential to uh, augment it. So, you know, you're using other people's stuff uh, rather than trying to create and come up with your own ideas. With this AI Drake and the Weekend Imitation Song. So this is a song which have been imitated. Um, It's a hot topic at the moment. The question remains as to whether the technology will be a help or a hindrance to to creating things in various sectors. Furthermore, how will the problem of ownership and intellectual property be resolved? So we're getting sort of areas now which I don't think many people have really understood what's coming down the line. I mean, if we switch on the TV, I've said to you once or twice, hey, look at this. And it was a match of the day where you've got the players and then in the next couple of frames, you don't have the players, you have the artificial intelligence. And then you don't know whether or not you're watching artificial intelligence or whether you're watching the real deal the person that it's supposed to represent now probably at the moment that doesn't really come too much into your sphere of influence does it not at all i mean when i do see what you're saying um they look like robot like um you know like the video games they're not real people but um we've got a friend who's got the son who's 
he has can have a football match, for instance, against his dad, and you 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 put up your team and the other, and you're actually playing a football match with the characters that are are really in the team, but uh, they look like cartoon characters, but quite not cartoon. That they look very realistic until you actually stare at them and you know that they're not real. Um, I just, um, it, it's above me really because they're video games. But as you're saying, in, in artificial intelligence is coming into your phone. Um, it, it um, For instance, what I can never understand is if I go to a certain shop, uh, food or, or whatever, within hours or the next day at the latest, uh, Facebook will, will say to me, how was your visit at wherever I was? So your telephone knows exactly where you are at every minute of the day, which I've said this many times, it can be a fantastic thing because if you're in trouble or you've fallen down and, or you're in a, a, you know, an area, um, they can find out where you are. But in a, in a bad way, um, they, they're, they're watching you, aren't they, all the time? So yeah, well, I, don't, I don't know. I don't, when I say that, if you're not doing anything wrong, and we've said this many times, uh, you know, the, um, the cameras in uh, shopping centres and various places that catch criminals doing things at certain times of the night or day, I've got absolutely no, no um, um, qualms about that happening because they've caught so many criminals on camera Whereas if they didn't have the security surveillance cameras, they, they would never catch them. Okay, that that I think um, you know, you, you unfortunately you were caught in a trap. There are people who can't see it, won't see it, and don't I think want it's to invading see it. Invading their privacy. It isn't. If you're not doing anything wrong, you know, why sh would you worry that you're on a camera going through walking through the high street? Okay, we're on the cameras all the time with the cars. It's nice and easy because they can attach the name of the driver with the license plate to the offence straight to your house, give you a fine. Now, what's coming down the line is obviously they're going to do the same so that they know who's walking down the street, where you're going, where have you been, where you listen to Alexa during the morning show or whatever, because basically they'll have all the information. If we stay with Alexa for a minute, uh, this is the cute way that things have developed. So Alexa uh, instructs you how to set up and they call it a skill. It isn't a skill. You're just allowing Alexa into your house. Alexa will be listening all the time uh, because otherwise, if she wasn't listening all the time, how on earth would she suddenly know what song to play? I mean, we've been at our son's house. Luckily now, he, he unplugs it when he doesn't want music on. But before, it would, inter it would start talking to you from the kitchen and, and it'd be listening to what your conversation was. It, it's just um, like answering your conversation. Um but it's like somebody, Big Brother, watching you all the time. And it's a, it is a form of control, but people don't see it as control. Well, but it, it is a form of control. Going back to the, um, the artificial intelligence, we never really thought too much about somebody's voice. Uh, we've always had people like our friend, uh, the late Paul Melba, who was a great impressionist. 
So, of course, it's not the first time that people have copied other people's voices. But now the sinister side kicks in because basically they can take your pictures. So they'll take pictures of maybe Trump or maybe Biden or maybe Boris Johnson or something like that. And they can basically um, they can make it look like he is saying something which doesn't exist. So, okay, these are the sorts of dangers we're reading things in the paper and I'm going to give you possibly our last talking point on this particular podcast um, so we'll go to uh, let's see we'll go to this one Okay, so some of what we do is to look for things that uh, can be avoidable, or if not avoidable, at least you can be aware of. And this um, is about a retired journalist. So uh, he died three days after he had his lovely pet, which was a Jack Russell, and it bit his thumb while he was feeding his dog a biscuit. So this is um, Mark Jones. Sadly, he was uh, 61, was living in Prestatyn in uh, North Wales with his wife, Yvette, and his stepson, Michael. And uh, he's developed sepsis and then died at the Glen Cluith uh, Hospital after being ripped by, or nipped, beg your pardon, by his pet. Um, and uh, Yvette told an inquest how her loving, caring and supportive husband was putting his pet dog to bed when he gave her a biscuit treat now we do this ourselves with a cat uh, so obviously you know this just so happens it was his pet dog and his wife said as he did she bit his thumb now that would appear to be totally innocent yeah, yeah. nothing sinister there but it happens so if somebody has the thumb nipped by um, any dog or little animal, or even I would suggest the child, because I'm told that the saliva in the human mouth is e even as bad, if not worse. Um, it wasn't bleeding. Uh, there was only a small puncture wound. Uh, it wasn't swollen. However, by the third day, it was swollen, and a pharmacist advised him to see his GP, uh, but there were no appointments available. Now, we've all been there, haven't we? You know, uh, not being able to go to the doctor. Um, so I think the couple of things to be aware of, A, anything small immediately, if you've been nipped or scratched or anything, go and wash it. Wash it and obviously you can buy over the counter now antibiotic cream, which we, we have in the house all the time for only little nicks. But you can't not take things like that seriously because... Uh, you, you know, it, it was unfortunate and I would imagine it, it wasn't intent or, you know, vicious type of thing. Sometimes when you're giving an animal a biscuit, you know, they get a bit overexcited and, you know, pinch it off you quickly. Uh, what a shame, though. I mean, I, I think possibly I could even have thought myself if... Um, because, I mean, cats do scratch you and things like that. Um, but I always put cream, antiseptic cream on and clean it. But you wouldn't think something that hasn't visually been punctured that I could understand him not taking it very seriously. 
but um, a, a small pun- puncture wound. It a said small puncture. Yeah, but you, as I say, you wouldn't really take that very seriously. Okay, so uh, sad one to finish with, and obviously uh, our thoughts will be that with the family, but. Our um, advice is anything small, no matter what it is, get it clean straight away and put some antiseptic on. And that goes for, especially I, I've read many times people working in the garden, for example, you know, get get whatever's on your hand cleaned up and get some antiseptic cream. Okay, that's it for today. Okay, um, right, lovely day, as we said. Um, so we're going to go out and enjoy it. And I hope you do too. As they said in one of the TV shows, take care. It's a jungle out there. It's a jungle out there, yeah. <laughs> okay, everyone, bye.